Well, happy Easter, church family. So good to see you. Today, we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. If you really believe that today, can you look over to someone sitting next to you and say, Jesus is alive. He is risen. The resurrection of Jesus means so much more when you understand it in context of the whole gospel. The Apostle Paul would declare the good news of Jesus to the church in Corinth. He said, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again, and the third day according to the Scriptures. And he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. The fact that Jesus is alive and was seen by so many people is the central reason why I have personally surrendered my life to Jesus and have given myself full time to his service to spreading this good news, amen? And this is why we are here today to celebrate Jesus Yes, we want to celebrate the brightness of his resurrection, but we must also remember the darkness of the cross. How many of you have ever had a dark day? For some of you, you're like, the whole year was dark last year. I can remember the, my darkest day. My darkest day in my, in my history was when I was in fifth grade. There was a bully on the bus named Grady Sparks. He was an older kid that would pick on everybody just verbally and he'd push people around and I just had enough. And I remember getting off the bus before him and positioning myself between my house and a a home construction site and where he lived down the, the road. Now, if I was not a coward, I would have met him face to face and had a little hand to hand combat. But again, he was a bigger bully than I, and he probably would have won. So I decided to change strategy and kind of do kind of more of a, a snipe attack. So I hunched down behind this big dirt pile and took like a dirt clump. And when he passed by, I hurled that at him, blindsided him. And I caught that sucker right in the face. (laughs) I was so proud, but then I ran as fast as I could home. And he knew where I lived. And uh, I went into my house and uh, I, I became very aware of what I had done. There was a lot of mixed emotions. Yes, I got even but I knew the crime would probably have consequences. So minutes turned into what felt like hours when I heard the doorbell ring and my mom answered the door and it was Grady Sparks, his parents, telling my mom that there was a rock in that clump of dirt and it busted his glasses and someone needed to pay for those glasses. My mom assured him them that, that we would make right what, what I have done and uh, my mom waited for my dad to get home. And those minutes of waiting for my dad to get home, it's not very fun. It was a dark, dark afternoon. And I, I kind of probably remember that Adam, once he committed his sin, he hid in shame and he covered himself with fig leaves. And so I didn't have any fig leaves, but I had about 12 pairs of underwear. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Like layers are going to protect from the biggest whoop, and I knew I was going to. See, I had been spanked for far less crimes than that, but this was going to be a big one. And I waited for my dad to get home, and when he had gotten home, I know my mom had talked to him. My dad came into the bedroom, and I knew this was it. I had prepared myself. But my dad sat on the bed, and he talked to me, and he listened. 
and he understood that, uh, that I had been bullied. And although I felt like justice needed to happen, I did it in the wrong way. And I'll never forget, I, I thought for sure I was doomed, but my dad had mercy that day. And I don't know if my mom intervened, but I didn't get a spanking for my crime. It, 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 how many of you have ever received mercy? Mercy is not getting something you deserve. You may have experienced that when you got pulled over for speeding. You were dead in the water. But instead of getting a ticket, you got a warning. You remember what that, that was a small token of mercy. Today, you are going to discover the greatest demonstration of mercy ever. Ever. I'm so grateful that you're here for the message we're calling the darkest day in history. It was dark figuratively, but it was dark literally. Roman archives confirm what three of the gospels report. Mark chapter 15, verse 33 says, At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. The crucifixion darkness was described and explained by some as a coincidence. There was an eclipse or a sandstorm. But most apologetics and historians believe that this was a supernatural darkness as a miracle of God. Imagine what greater way could God the Father demonstrate his grief to the world over the suffering of his son while he hung on the cross. It was a dark, dark day. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 19. As we closely examine the three last days of Jesus' life here on earth, the first day is Thursday night. Every Jewish day would start in the evening, much like our day starts at midnight. Jesus would have had a Passover meal with his disciples. He would have prayed in the garden. And then sometime that evening, we're not sure of the exact hour, he was arrested. Most believe it was around midnight. So 12 a.m. arrested, and by 9 a.m. he was crucified. He was up all night. There were six different trials, much too fast for a legal process. Three of those trials were Jewish, three were Roman. He would stand before Annas, Caiaphas, and the Sanhedrin, made up about 23 judges, kind of like a, a supreme court. Those found him guilty. The Roman trials didn't find him guilty. He stood before Pilate, sent to Herod, and then back to Pilate. But the Jewish trials said he was guilty. Guilty of what? Of blasphemy. They asked him, are you the Messiah? And Jesus says, it is as you say. And so they blindfolded him. They spit upon him. They mocked him. They put a crown of thorns upon his head. They pulled out his beard. They hit him with their fists. He was beaten by Jewish and Roman soldiers. Remember, he was up all night, nothing to eat, nothing to drink. Why go in so much detail? Because I want you to know exactly what Jesus endured physically on your behalf. See, we were the ones that were due the consequences of our sins. But Jesus, a sinless man, innocent of the crime that he was being accused of and would be punished of to death. Religious people are the ones who tried to kill him. His own disciples scattered and denied knowing him. Again, he was an innocent lamb. Our story picks up in John chapter 19, verse 1. It says, so then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, hell, king of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, behold, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. 
Jesus is the only person in history to be both scourged and crucified because of how terrible the scourging process was. The Romans had perfected human torture. There were scientists and doctors, not preachers, who would gather and study New Testament and other documents to describe the actual physical death of Jesus. Dr. Rick Renter wrote, the word scourge was the most horrific word used to inflict pain. The victim was first stripped, so his first layer of skin was uncovered. Then his fists were tied to a post. His wrists were then placed in metal shackles to resist movement. The victim could not wiggle or dodge whippings. Romans were professional at inflicting the maximum amount of pain without killing a person. Once the victim was harnessed to this post, he went through unimaginable and horrific pain. The mere anticipation of the first blow caused the body to become rigid, the color to be removed from his face and his lips tight against the teeth as he anticipated the first blow that would rip his skin away from his flesh. The scourge itself was a wooden club with 18 to 24 straps of leather. At the end of the leather were fixed pieces of metal, wire, glass, and jagged fragments of bone. This tool was the most feared weapon in the Roman world. It was so horrific that the mere threat of scourging would calm a crowd. Usually two soldiers would carry out the torture together from each side. Each swipe would cause multiple lashes as the pieces of metal, glass, and bone would dig into the flesh and pull across the body. The soldier would tug hard as to pull large sections of flesh from the body. You know, this is gruesome, and it is very graphic, and it would be easier to kind of just skip over what Jesus endured on the cross. We gather at Easter, and we want to quickly celebrate that he was risen, and we should, but we can't look over what Jesus endured on our behalf on the cross. So they reported that the back and stomach, legs and arms would soon be disfigured from the blows of the whip. One historical record from that day reports that the back was so mutilated, mutilated that his spine was exposed. Another record that the bowels spilled out through the open wounds. If the scourging wasn't stopped, the blood vessels would cause profuse a loss of blood and body fluid. The, the victim would, would often experience excruciating thirst, often fainting from pain and going into shock. The very word excruciating comes from the cross. Latin, ex cruci, from the cross. Frequently, the heart would beat so irregularly, causing the victim to go into cardiac arrest. It's important to note that this was not a Jewish scourging. Jewish law, according to even Paul, would write to the church in Corinthians in his first letter, only permitted 40 lashings because that was the point that someone would usually die. But this was a Roman scourging and there was no limit. Jesus could have very easily endured more than 40 lashes. We have no idea what he would have looked like as a result of this from the Gospels. But the prophecy found in Isaiah, chapter 52, verse 14 says, But many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. That's the scourging Jesus endured. 
And he was taken from the scourging to begin the crucifixion process. John 19 says, therefore, because it was the preparation day that the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. Verse 36 says, For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, They shall look on him whom they pierced. There were 53 messianic prophecies that Jesus would fulfill. Imagine one person fulfilling all these prophecies. These are reasons enough that Jesus was the Messiah, let alone he was seen after he was raised from the dead. But one-third of the messianic prophecies were fulfilled this very day. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus said that while he was hanging on the cross, and it was recorded in Psalm 22, verse 1, years before it happened. Jesus said this on the cross. They pierced my hands and my feet, verse 16. They divided my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. This next verse has three fulfillments. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. They drove nails through his wrists and his feet. They used to drive the nails through the hands, but they stopped in 36 BC because the cartilage in the hands were not strong enough to support the weight of the body. There's records of people hanging on a cross for up to four days. Notice that the medical association, the, the images that they used, there was no platform for the feet. So all of the weight were on these spikes. The only way to breathe, you could exhale, but the only way to inhale was if you literally lifted your body up. Every breath that Jesus would take, he would have to lift up his body. Remember, his back was scourged against this wooden cross, the pain that he would endure. That's why they would break the legs so someone could die within minutes. But for six hours, from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., Jesus would hang on the cross. Every breath that he would take, imagine the pain and the agony that he went through. What was he thinking during that time? Imagine that he was thinking about his father, the love, submitting to his will out of obedience. I imagine he was also thinking about us. John chapter 17 already records his prayer for us that would believe. For Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him, but those who did receive him, he gave the right to be called children of God. Those who surrender their lives to Jesus, his cross would not be in vain. I imagine he was thinking about you, that he would endure this for you, not just to substitute him, himself on the cross for you, but he suffered on the cross because of his great overwhelming love for you. An innocent man, our Lord and Savior, suffered, bled, died. For our behalf, for great is the love of God that would send his son, Jesus. Great is the love of our Savior that would endure as a substitution what mercy looks like. We deserved it. But Jesus is a substitution, is the atoning sacrifice on the cross for us. 
How great is a father's love for us. Imagine that once he was placed in the tomb, that they, the enemies thought they had it won. The blasphemer was quieted, silenced. They could resume life. What they didn't realize, that this great setback would set up the greatest comeback for victory in history. But it's hard to see it when it's dark. It's hard to see it when the tomb is still blocked and things around us when you don't see any light. You know, we're living in a day that I think God's enemies think that Christianity is on the ropes, that it's been suppressed, it's been beaten down. But we have hope. That same power of the resurrection that raised Jesus from the dead is going to rise his church from the ashes to advance the kingdom of God. Amen. It's why Jesus came to this earth. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He came to establish his kingdom, and he did. He did. And then on the third day, an angel shows up. One angel rolls away the stone. It says in Matthew 28, verse 2, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. Can you imagine what that looked like? One angel took many, many soldiers to roll that stone. One angel, right? And then he just sits on that, th- that stone. Remember, there's many guards that were around, and they were looking at that one angel. I can imagine that angel, like, yeah, you want some of me? Like, right? It's probably like a Texan angel, you know? Come and take it. <laughs> and these soldiers would shake in fear, and they would fall over like they were dead. And then the angel told Mary, he said, hey, he is risen. He's not in the, in the tomb anymore. It's empty. Jesus is alive. And that's why we gather and we celebrate that truth today, that he is alive. He is risen. And Mary and other women would share the good news to the disciples, and some of the disciples didn't even hear it. The women that were out, they were brave, but the men... John 20, 19, it says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled. Why? For fear of the Jews. They were hiding behind closed doors. It says, then Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. He knew that their needs, he knew that they were afraid, and he came and he spoke peace. Jesus was the peace. Just his presence. I imagine that all of, the, all of their fear was gone. Why were they so afraid? I imagine some of them were afraid and fear because of their past shame. They had scattered. They had even betrayed Jesus. Some of them were afraid of death. Surely what happened to Jesus could happen to them. They were hiding. They were afraid. Never allow fear to torment your mind. If you give your mind enough room for fear, you will soon believe the fear over the word of God. But the reality is, the Bible says that perfect love drives out all fear. Perfect love was Jesus. It's the presence of Jesus. Drives out all fear. We don't have anything to be afraid. We can believe that, that the Lord has a purpose through the pain, through the suffering, even through death. So he would look at his disciples and 
He would call them to the Great Commission to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything Jesus had spoken to them, commanded to them. And he says, lo, I will be with you always to the ends of the earth. Mark 16, 15, he says, go into all the world and preach the good news to who? To everyone, right? And so here's the moment. This is the moment of decision for these disciples. Would they remain in closed doors, behind closed doors, or would they go out and obey Jesus? I imagine once they saw him alive, they were so overwhelmed by his, his forgiveness and they received the power of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they would respond in obedience. And we see this to be true in verse 20 of Mark 16. It says, and they went out and preached where? Where? They preached everywhere. They were so passionate about the good news. They were like, I saw Jesus with my own eyes. He saved me. He's forgiven me. He'll do the same for you. God has no respect to a person. They went into their homes, their villages, the synagogues, the marketplaces, the street corners. They would go into the ancient worlds, to seaports, to other lands, to spread the gospel. Was there threats? Yes, there was persecution. In Colosseums, many of the disciples died, but it was worth for what Jesus did for them and what Jesus called them to do, to spread the good news, the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. 